Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to look, and we're going to begin at verse 8. And the minute anybody that's been in church for very long, the minute the preacher says, turn to Malachi 3, everybody gets real nervous. And yes, I'll just tell you up front, yeah, I'm going to talk about money. And I do it without apology today, okay? But I believe by the time we get to the end of this, you'll see that it's not going to be your standard, what you think is going to happen when I talk about this. So let's read it together. Malachi chapter 3, let's begin at verse 8 and read. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Now, Lord... Open our hearts, I pray, that we may hear not what the preacher is going to say, but what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up to you other life-giving churches. I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. Draw them to a place of repentance. I pray especially, Lord, for sons and daughters that have walked away from you They have been raised in faith. They've been raised in the church. And yet, they have chosen to follow a path that is contrary to your word. I ask, O Lord, that you will draw those young people, and some of them not so young, draw them to a place of repentance so that not one of them is lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have a couple of questions for you right at the beginning of the message today. First question, how many of you like to be blessed? Uh, What what about all you people that are part of our online congregation? How about giving me a thumbs up or or commenting amen if you like to be blessed? We just just need to know for sure that I'm preaching to the right crowd. Okay, here's a question to make you think a little bit. I, I don't want you to answer this out loud, but I want you to think about it. How do you define blessing? What what would constitute a blessing for you? See, when some people hear the word blessing, they immediately think of money. You know, an extra $50 in their paycheck. 
a, a jump in the stock market that causes an increase in their retirement account, a refund on their taxes, an unexpected rebate, or just walking along and find a large bill laying there on the sidewalk, you know, a blessing. And, and I've discovered that the amount of money you consider to be a blessing varies from person to person. See, one person recognizes a blessing if the unexpected increase is $2,000. Another receives it as a blessing if it's $200. For some, just an extra $20 would be a huge blessing. Some people think of money or material possessions, but, but others think of blessing in different terms. If they could just have a night's sleep without pain... That would be a huge blessing. If they could regain their mobility, that would be a blessing. If they could go a day without a panic attack, that would be a blessing. If they could feel loved and cared for by their spouse, that would be a blessing. If they could get word that their child was safe, they would consider that a blessing. If their loved one would turn their life around and serve the Lord, that would be a blessing. Yes. Some people are blessed and don't even know it. If you had a warm, soft bed to sleep in last night, you're blessed. If you had a roof over your head, you're blessed. If you had food on your table, you're blessed. If you have clothes on your body and shoes for your feet, you're blessed. If you're able to come to the house of the Lord for worship, you're blessed. If, if you're able to join us online through the means of technology, you're blessed. You know, if all this shutdown had happened, what, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had the technology to do what we're able to do right now and reach people. If you're in good health, you're blessed. If you're part of a loving family, you're blessed. If you can see and hear and smell and touch and taste, you're blessed. If, if you know you're blessed, why don't you take a moment and just thank the Lord for his blessing on your life? If you know you're blessed, Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Praise God. Praise God for his blessings today. <laughs> Let me tell you, this idea of blessing, blessing is shorthand for the favor of God and the protection of God. One message that comes through loud and clear from the pages of the Bible is that God takes a special delight in blessing his people. Now, closely linked to that message of God taking delight in blessing his people is this truth. Your generosity is linked 
to your blessing. This is what it means in Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Watch this. For your standard of measure, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is what it means in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm sorry, I just was remembering one preacher was saying, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch as well. So, yeah, yeah. And God, he goes on and says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Your generosity is linked to your blessing. This is what is meant by the verses we read at the beginning of this message from the Old Testament prophet Malachi. Now, most of you know that I've been in church all my life. You know, I've been going to church nine months before I was born. And, and in the last 65 years, I've lost count of the number of sermons I've heard, heard preached on chapter three of the book of Malachi, and most of them make me angry. And the reason they make me angry is because most of the sermons I've heard preached from this passage talk about how God is angry with the people because they are robbing him of his money. And they make God out to be some kind of petty, vindictive, cosmic deity who's getting ready to rain down curses on the people because they won't pay their dues. And that isn't who God is. And that's not the message of Malachi. Prophet Malachi prophesied to the people of God during and just after the time when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. After Malachi finished his prophetic ministry, there was no recorded word from the Lord for the next 400 years. Malachi's message consists of eight different statements where God takes issue with a particular practice or a particular attitude of the people. Each time Malachi brings the accusation from the Lord, the people respond with a question of rebuttal. Every time the people question, what do you mean? The, the old King James uses the word, wherein. The Lord gives a rebuke through the prophet about a practice that is displeasing to him, and the people respond, wherein? The prophet says, the Lord has a controversy with you, and the people answer, what, what are you talking about? Surely you don't mean us. Surely you're talking about the pagans or the heathen out there in the world somewhere. I, I know you're not talking about me. When the prophet speaks, he reveals how the people are doing religious things, but their heart remains far from the Lord. On the outside, they look like the people of God, but the true relationship is missing. They have the form, but lack the power. Their lips speak spiritual sounding phrases and their hands do religious things, but their heart is far removed. 
And so the prophet's message is a call. It's a call to return to the Lord. In chapter 1 of Malachi, he rebukes them for going through the motions of religious ritual and calls them to stop bringing blind sheep and lame cattle and return to true worship. In chapter 2, he rebukes the priests, the ministers, and calls them to return to holy living and true service. In every chapter, the message of Malachi is about people returning with all their heart to a covenant relationship with the Lord. In chapter 3, the prophet addresses a subject that nobody wants to talk about in the church, the subject of money and giving. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Jesus talked about money more than twice as much as he talked about heaven and hell combined. In the Bible, 16 of the 38 parables are concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, one out of 10 verses, 288 verses in all, deal directly with the subject of money. In the Bible, there are something like 500 verses on prayer. How many of you believe that prayer is important? There are less than 500 verses on faith. Do you believe faith is important? We only got less than 500 verses about that. There are 2,000, more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions and giving. So I'm starting to think that maybe that's an important subject to God. When the Bible talks about money, it teaches that money is a trust. What many people fail to recognize is that everything belongs to the Lord. You know, people claim ownership of land and of money and of possessions and of pets and of people and even intangible things like feelings and emotions and thoughts and health. But none of the contracts and none of the notarized documents and none of the possessive pronouns ever seems to line up with the truth of God's word. The Bible very clearly puts everything in proper focus when it says in Psalm 24 and 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. God is the owner of this universe and everything in it. He created it from nothing. He stepped into an empty void, called into being all the elements of this universe by the word of his power, took all the substance he had made from nothing and hung it nowhere on nothing, started it all in motion, then stepped back, looked at it all and said, that's good. Good job, God. One thing has never changed since that time. God has never signed over the deed of any of the component parts of this universe to another owner. The fact of his ownership is eternal and unchanging. That's why God says in Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. That's what it means in Haggai chapter two, verses six through eight, when the prophet says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares 
the Lord. That's what Ezekiel 18 and 4 means when the Lord speaks through the prophet and says, Behold, all souls are mine. The souls of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 14 and 8. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. I want to tell you, even the ability to work and earn a living comes from the Lord. That's what Deuteronomy 8 and 18 teaches. It is the Lord who gives you the ability to make wealth. God doesn't put a mark of his ownership on the meadow, but every meadow in this world is his. He doesn't place a no trespassing sign on the mountains but they are his. He doesn't ration the fresh air and the breezes that blow, but they are all his. He doesn't levy a tax on the vastness of the reaches of space, but they are his. He doesn't draw royalties on the beautiful songs of the birds, but every bird and every song belongs to him. He doesn't send out a monthly notice saying rent due, but we are camping on his property. We are breathing his air. We are spending his time. God possesses it all. And since it all belongs to the Lord, any money that you have isn't really yours. It's his. And he has placed it in your hands as a trust. His expectation is that you will be a good manager of his resources. See, one of the reasons some people don't have any more than they do is because God can't trust them with any more because they haven't learned how to manage what they have. Pastor, that was so good. You didn't get much response off of that, but boy, that was amazing. You, you know, we get along quicker and easier if you just say amen every now and then, you know. See, they they haven't learned how to manage what they have. They're over here praying for God to bless them and give them more. And all the while, God's saying, well, you know, I'd be happy to do that, but you'd have a lot more if you just learned to be a good manager of what I've already given you. I don't have time in this message to go into a lot of detail about good management of your financial resources I've done that in previous messages, and I'll probably do that again. But, but let me just give you one big idea about money management, okay? Are you ready for this? You, you might want to write this down. Here it is. Don't spend what you don't have. <clears throat> Say it another way. Live within your means. It's a trust. Manage it. You don't have to have the latest, greatest widget. Well, all right, let's just move on. It's still true, you know. There's a second, you know, I'm getting just about the response I thought I was going to get when I was writing this message. (laughs) I sat in my office and said, Lord, are you sure you want me to preach this? Because I know what kind of response I'm going to get. So, Here we go. There's a second truth the Bible teaches about money. Not only is money a trust, but money is a tool. See, in and of itself, money is neither good nor evil. 
Some people misquote 1 Timothy 6.10, and they say money is the root of all evil. That's not, that, is, that isn't what it says. No. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Money itself is neutral. It's what you do with it and how you view it that makes it either good or evil. See, too many people have bought into the claims that money makes about itself. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a spirit behind money. The Bible calls it mammon. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or that word really is you cannot serve God and mammon. <clears throat> See, money claims for itself God-like qualities. Did you know that? Think about it. Money, money claims to give you security. How many of you have ever said or heard somebody say, if I just had enough set aside, then I wouldn't have to worry about, it claims to give you security. Money claims to give you status. You know, you have money, so we want to hear your thoughts. It doesn't matter that you have absolutely no expertise in the area that we're asking you to give us an opinion. Money claims to be your source. It claims to be the cause of satisfaction, and it claims the to be the measure of success. Those are qualities that can only be given by God. I'm reminded of the story I read not too long ago about a young engineer. He was fresh out of MIT, and he was interviewing for a job. Well, at the end of the interview, the human resources person asked him, what starting salary were you thinking about? Well, the young engineer said, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $125,000 a year, depending on the benefits package. And the interviewer said, well, what would you say to a package of five weeks vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental coverage, company matching retirement fund to 50% of salary, and a company car leased every two years, say, say a red Corvette? Well, the applicant sat straight up and said, wow, are you kidding? The interviewer replied, yeah, but you started it. <laughs> Here's what I know. What you value becomes your God. Say that again for the, louder for the folks in the back. What you value becomes your God. You don't have to have a lot of money for money to be your God. It's about perception. It's about desire. It's about what you're willing to sacrifice to get it. It's what you do with it once you have some of it. Money is a tool. Nothing more, nothing less. It isn't a measure of spirituality or a lack of spirituality. You know, I know some godly people who have a lot of money, and I know some godly people who are poor as Job's turkey. It isn't a measure of spirituality. You can hoard it. You can spend it unwisely. You can do a lot of damage with it. Or you can use it to bless others and to build the kingdom. 
Money is a trust. Money is a tool. I hope somebody's getting something out of this today. You're learning something. Finally, I want to tell you money is a test. And this brings me back to the text in Malachi chapter 3. You thought I forgot about this, but here we are. In this passage, the Lord speaks to the people through the prophet and says that he is unhappy, he's disappointed, and he's upset with them over their giving. Now watch this. The reason God is upset isn't because he's broke and needs them to pay up so he won't have to go on welfare. By withholding the tithe, the people are not robbing him of the money he needs to keep heaven operating in the black. What God says is that when they don't give, they are demonstrating their lack of trust. And thereby, they are robbing him of the opportunity to bless them with the abundance he wants them to have. See, the people of Israel had the same misguided thought that some of you have. They thought they could somehow provide for themselves better than God could provide for them. And God is upset with them because their holding of the tithe is a demonstration that they don't really trust him to fulfill his covenant promise and take care of them. God isn't angry. He's disappointed. He's holding, see, holding on to the tithe and offering isn't about robbing God of his money. It's robbing him of the opportunity to bless you. The Lord says in verse 13, this, this is the, see, everybody stops with this. You're cursed with a curse and I'm going to, you know, fire and brimstone down. That's where they stop. You need to read the whole thing. The Lord says in verse 13, your words have been arrogant against me. The old King James says it, your words have been stout against me. He goes on, you've decided you could handle your resources better by yourself than you could if you made God your partner. You've decided that you couldn't trust me to take care of you. You've decided that if you gave the tithe, you might not have enough for yourself. So you robbed God of the opportunity to pour out his blessing on your life. In verses 8 and 9, the Lord accuses the people of robbing him by withholding the tithe. And then he says that as a result, they are cursed with a curse. Now, I used to read that part and get this middle picture of a giant black cauldron with a roaring fire beneath it and some slimy substance boiling in the kettle and God standing over it with a giant wooden spoon stirring, just looking around trying to find somebody hanging on to the tithe so he could ladle some of this vile brew out onto their lives, a curse. You know, I thought of it as some kind of divine retribution. Oh, so you think you, you'll not give your tithe an offering? <laughs> okay, I'll put a curse on you. Let's, let's see how you like that. Uh, my colorful imagination gets away with me sometimes. Some people call it wild. I prefer to call it colorful. But that isn't who God is. See, the curse, please get this. The curse isn't something God places on you. Instead, when you stop giving, you abandon the covenant of trust and consequently, you remove yourself 
from under the umbrella of divine favor and protection. And now when you do that, you are subject to the forces of this natural world, which is cursed because of rebellion. So now you are forced, when you remove yourself from that, you are forced to live by your own ingenuity instead of by divine favor. If you could ever grasp this concept, it would revolutionize your giving and it would revolutionize your life. Giving and generosity isn't about money. It's about trust. It's about placing yourself in the hand of the Lord. It's about surrendering everything to God. And when you trust God like that, his care and compassion and commitment to his covenant kicks into overdrive. See, money is a test. It's a test of trust. Do you trust God to take care of you more than you trust your ability to take care of yourself? Your giving, your generosity is a demonstration of that trust. You know, I've been preaching now for for about six weeks on this theme of trust. And when you get right down to the bottom of the well, the truth of the matter is that trust isn't trust if it's only exhibited in one area of your life. Real trust encompasses the totality of your being. See, it isn't really trust if you trust the Lord with your eternal destiny, but you don't trust him with the day-to-day struggles of life. You're not really trusting God. It isn't really trust if you trust him with your personal health, but you don't trust him with your family relationships. It isn't really trust if you trust him with your marriage, but you don't trust him with your money. See, in in the Old Testament, when you read it, you you discover riches were a mark of God's blessing in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, riches are a test of your devotion and trust. Tithing is the only area where God challenges you to put him to the test. Did you know that? Every other place in the Bible warns against testing God. But in this area of the tithe, God says, test me. He dares you to demonstrate your trust in him by giving to him first before you spend on anything else. He dares you to tithe. His promise is that if you put him to the test in this area of tithing, he'll abundantly bless you. This this is how to unlock divine blessings over your life. He describes it in verse 10 as opening the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing until it overflows where there won't be room enough to contain all the blessings. He goes on and describes the kind of blessing you'll receive. Now, please hear me. This is not some, you give a dollar and God's gonna give you $100 back. And to anybody that start, you hear start teaching that, just run, just run. Run, quickly. But God does promise a blessing. But we, we learned at the very beginning, blessings take a lot of different forms. They take a lot of different forms. God says, if you're gonna demonstrate your trust in me by giving a tithe before you spend on anything else, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. He says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer so that your harvest won't be harmed. He says, when you give, I'll protect your seed. Now, God's talking in agricultural terms because that's the way they lived. You know, it was an agricultural society. But I want to tell you that when I read, he'll protect, he'll rebuke the devourer from off of of your 
your harvest and he'll protect your seed. When I read that, I started thinking about my kids and about my grandkids. I started thinking about all the people that are connected to me familially and in relationship. He says, I'll see to it that the evil one can't destroy the fruit of your vine. He says, the blessing I pour out on you from open windows of heaven will be so large, you won't be able to contain it and you'll live in the overflow. This is the message of the Lord. Return to the covenant. Trust me with your giving. Put me to the test, God says. I can handle it. I'll rebuke the devourer from your fruit. I'll rebuke the devourer from your family. I'll rebuke the devourer from your business. I'll rebuke the devourer from your dreams and from your connections and from your creativity and from your destiny. You'll be blessed in the country and you'll be blessed in the city and you'll be blessed when you rise up and you'll be blessed when you sit down and just about the time you finish with one blessing, another blessing will pile in on top of you and you won't have enough places to park all the blessings that will come your way. This is your God. He's not angry. He wants to bless you. It breaks his heart when he's restrained from bringing abundant blessing to your life because of your lack of trust. God takes delight in your prosperity. The favor and the protection and the blessing are waiting to be poured out on those who trust him. And the only thing restraining the divine blessing is when you demonstrate a lack of trust by holding on to the resources you have instead of placing them in his hand like loaves and fish to be blessed and broken and then multiplied back more than sufficient for the need. I, I got to bring this thing to I got to land this plane here. Um, I, I don't know what you know about God. But I know that the God I serve is the God of more than enough. The blessing of the Lord is far more than a larger bank account. I want to suggest to you that when you take God up on his offer and you put him to the test by the giving of your tithe, then you have a right to claim the promise of his blessing over your life. You're not trying to buy his blessing. You can't afford it no matter how much you give. You just can't. But what you're doing is you're lining up in agreement with his word and his promise. See, he's the one who invited you to put him to the test in this. So when you give to him first, when you trust him with your giving, you can then claim his promise. You know, his promises are conditional. He always says, if you do this, then I will do that. And the condition is, I'll, I'll open windows of blessing if you'll trust me in this. You can claim the promise of blessing over your health, over your family, over your business, over your dreams, over your career, over your future. I wanna remind somebody today that when you are faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. I'll tell you something else. You may not have abundance, but you will always have sufficient. You may find yourself in a desert but if you find yourself there, just look around. God will give you a careth brook for water, and he'll even send food on the wings of the ravens if necessary. You might, you might find yourself in a famine, but just look around you. God will have a widow with a handful of meal and a few drops of oil that he will then turn into an inexhaustible supply. Trust is never misplaced 
when you put your trust in God. His promise is Galatians 6 and 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. His promise is Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. His promise is Psalm 37, verses 16 through 19. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine, they will have abundance. His promise is Psalm 37 and 25. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. His promise is 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I tell you, I dare you to trust God. Money is a trust. God expects you to manage it. Money is a tool. God expects you to use it appropriately. Money is a test. God expects you to trust him by giving to him first. For some reason, this area of trusting God with money seems to be most difficult. So before we go, I want to pray with you. And I want to pray today that you'll have the courage to trust God with your resources. You'll just have the courage to trust him. So that when he speaks to you, he's already spoken through his word, but then when he speaks to you, see, if it's his, that means he can call for it at any time. And usually what happens is God, God says, I'd like for you to do this. I'd like for you to give. And, and you know what we do? We, we argue with the Lord. But Lord, don't you know I've got the, yes, he knows. He knows your obligations. He's looking for trust. And I'll tell you this, if you'll trust God, you just absolutely cannot outgive him. Just cannot. Stand with me, please. I gotta, I gotta finish. Um, bow for just a moment, please. I, and it, here, I'm trying to help somebody today. I've tried to help you because I want you to get in on the blessing of the Lord. And maybe, maybe I've been preaching to somebody and you're looking at, at your life and you're looking at your resources and you're saying, uh, Pastor, you know, I, I, things are just really tight right now and I don't know how I could do this. If you're willing to give God a chance to show himself faithful and mighty in this area. And you need God's help in this area of your resources and your provision, your finances. There's a, or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's some other area where you're just like, I need God's blessing. I need God's help. I, I, I need him to show up. You're willing to trust God with this. Can I just see your hand, please? Just put it up for a second and you can put it right back down. Yeah. yeah. Father, I'm praying now that your blessings will flow to these people. 
and that they will receive your provision and they will experience fruitfulness. I'm praying, Lord, that as they demonstrate their trust in you by giving generously, as you speak to them, I'm praying that you will draw a target on their life, a target that will attract divine favor and protection and blessing. I pray, O oh Lord, that you'll not just bless the, their, their labors and, and, their, and their finances, but Lord, these blessings will spill over into their families, and into every area, every venture where they need you and they need your miracle provision to their health. Touch them, I pray. I sense your Holy Spirit right now moving, working, confirming your word. Thank you, Lord. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will bless them in such a way that when they are blessed, they will then in turn be a blessing to others. For you never bless us just for our benefit. It's always, if you can get it through us, you will get it to us. So help us to not be reservoirs. Help us to be conduits for your blessings to flow. This is what I pray for these people today. Lord, help us to, to receive your word now and make the application. And as we do that, I pray then that you will confirm your word with your promise. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming today.